0: Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Seren. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. In just a few moments, the secret life of Howard Hughes and my conversation with a retired major general in the Nebraska National Guard, the author or co-author of a book, that reveals how the reclusive eccentric billionaire aviation pioneer Howard Hughes faked his death and lived a secret life for another 25 years. Uh, Albert, my story producer, is off tonight, so we'll have to postpone a a brand new segment we announced last week called What's in the Box? Uh, we'll, We'll do that starting next week. Albert fancies himself a remote viewer, or at least he's working on developing his remote viewing skills. Uh, so last week, I said we'd start off the show with what's in the box. Uh, so what I'll do is I'll conceal some object in a box, uh, place it on the uh, the counter here in studio, and Albert will attempt to remote view what's in the box. We'll start that next week. Uh, please get on up to the website strangeplanet.ca. That's your portal to this radio program. Just click on the radio tab, strangeplanet.ca. Click on the radio tab, and uh, there you'll find the, the website for this radio program. The Conspiracy Show. Please take a moment to to register. It's fast, easy, and free. And also, of course, check out the Live Events tab at strangeplanet.ca because there is another Strange Planet Productions exclusive event coming your way Saturday, October the 15th. Take a walk on the dark side. Rock and roll myths, legends, and curses. Featuring R. Gary Patterson with special Skype appearances by Peggy Sue Buddy Holly's muse, Leo Lyons uh, of Ten Years After, and Bill Harry from Liverpool, lifelong friend of the Beatles and publisher of Mercy Beat magazine. That's Saturday, October the 15th at the J.J.R. McLeod Auditorium, 4 to 8 p.m. And you can purchase your tickets online on the live events page at strangeplanet.ca or through Conspiracy Culture. Just visit ConspiracyCulture.com for more details. Hope to see you there. Now, the world believes that Howard Hughes died on April the fifth, 1976, at the age of 71, and that he was using the alias of John T. Conover when his body arrived at the morgue in Houston, Texas, on the day of his death. But the world may have to change what it believes about Howard Hughes after listening to my next guest, who is about to lay out some incredible evidence that Howard Hughes actually lived to be 96 years old and died as recently as 2001 uh, in Alabama after assuming another man's identity in uh, 1969 and installing a mentally deranged drug addict imposter in his place. Howard Hughes supposedly was married to one Eva Renee McClelland for 31 years. Here to tell us all is Mark Music, who is a retired Nebraska Air National Guard Major General Mark dedicated over a decade to uncover this story, which he never expected nor sought to tell. Mark Music, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Well, I'm fine, Richard. Thank you for having me. So let me go back to the beginning. First of all, uh, this is uh, history-changing information. I remember, as I would have been 12 years old in 1976... Uh, and uh, so many historical events. I remember watching on my mother and father's TV set in their bedroom. I was sitting on the corner of the bed when they discovered, or when they flew, a very emaciated-looking Howard Hughes, or the person we thought was Howard Hughes. Um, I'm not. I can't recall where they landed, but uh, he was uh, like in a, a medical um, helicopter or plane. And there he was on the gurney, and of course, he died a short while later. Um, and. Now we're learning, of course, because of your research, Douglas Well's, Wellman's research, that that wasn't Howard Hughes who died in 1976. That's where the story begins. But let me go back a little bit further. You're an, you were in the, 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 Air, the National Air Guard in Nebraska. I mean, that's about as far from Howard Hughes' world as uh, you know I can imagine. How did you get involved in this remarkable story?
1: Well, that's a good question. I worked for a nonprofit organization, and I met a lady. Um, her name was Eva McClellan. She lived in Alabama, and she wanted to leave some property to the nonprofit. And so I talked to her several times on the phone in 1999, 2000, and I knew her husband was getting up there in years, and I knew he had died in uh, in November of 2001. I met her January 2002. And she started relaying this story to me that I thought was just absolute lunacy. It, it was total, total craziness. And her story was that she was married to Howard Hughes and he had just died in 2001. And I, 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 I thought it was, it was nothing could be true of this story. But as I listened to her over months and years, nothing ever changed. No details, no, no um, information, no dates, no nothing. And then I thought, well, I'm going to start to research this thing and found out that what she was telling me was confirmable. It was all confirmable. And the story was that she met a a tall, handsome man in 1969 in Panama, where she was working at that time. And she did not know who he was. He was using the name of Nick Niccoli. He had the idea of a, a man named Werner Nicely, but he was using the name Nick And he would just disappear. Uh, She wasn't sure where he went. They became engaged in March of 1970, and they were married in May of 1970.
0: Did she know anything now prior to him revealing his identity? uh, Did she know about Howard Hughes? Did she know what he looked like? Um, Well,
1: Howard Hughes, of course, was in the news at that point in time, going back and forth from a long-haired, long-fingered, now drug-addicted, bedridden 90-pound man to a man who actually uh, had meetings with the president of Nicaragua, um, the governor of Nevada, and things like that, and they described him as a commanding man.
0: Yeah, we should just explain the discrepancy there. You're right. I mean, towards the end of Howard Hughes' life, or who we thought was Howard Hughes, we have to keep uh, throwing that proviso in there. But the idea was uh, we were told that he was uh, living uh, at the uh, in the penthouse of the is it the Desert Springs Inn in uh, in Nevada? Right. Right and uh, was surrounded by you know very controlling people and uh, was a you know an absolute germaphobe and had again long scraggly hair fingernails for those that have seen uh uh Leonardo DiCaprio in the aviator uh that's sort of the depiction the, the depiction towards the end of his life but at the same time we were getting reports in the media that no Howard Hughes is having meetings, he's conducting business, he's, you know, he's, just as we remembered him, very d- dapper and, and uh, you know, together, very lucid. So we were having this, these conflicting reports.
1: And and he actually changed his looks. He lightened up his hair, he lightened up his hair, and he actually had surgery that he had uh, iris implants, blue implants, uh, implanted in his eyes. That was 1966. So he looked different. He really didn't look like Howard Hughes. But if he went to these meetings, he could make up to look like Howard Hughes again.
0: Interesting. Did they have that technology to, to uh, iris implants in the late 60s? It
1: was experimental.
0: Ah, okay. Well, totally he certainly had the means. He had the means. Yes.
1: yes, but he could buy anything he wanted to, and he bought himself another identity. The identity that he took was a man working for the CIA who basically disappeared uh, in the late 60s we have no idea what really happened to him unless he's living under some other identity but he was 5 foot 11 Yeah, Danny Dietrich was a man of 5 foot 11 we have all of his military records and medical records and things like that so now we have 5 foot 11 a man who's now 6 foot 4
0: <laughs> and it,
1: it, it just doesn't it doesn't uh, all add up
0: right howard Hughes was 6 foot 4 correct and his alias the late uh, nick nikoley uh, former cia operative was 5 foot 11 according Eleven. to his record correct writings. okay so correct. um eva McClellan meets this uh gentleman down in panama in the late 60s they they are engaged and they marry in 1970 and then then what when does he when does she start to suspect that he is not who he says he is
1: right at the beginning she begins to put the pieces together and it, t- it took her – because there's things that he did or things that he said, and, and it took her about uh, two to three years, and she knew who he was at that point. And then he finally revealed it to her in uh, 1975 is when he finally revealed it to her. And after that, uh, he, she could ask him anything about flying, this, flying the Hercules, about – he'd talk about his childhood – um, she could ask him anything and he would answer it at that point in time because he basically let her know.
0: Mark Music is uh, the co-author along with Doug Wellman of Boxes, The Secret Life of Howard Hughes. Now the second edition is out. It first came out about six years ago and in the second edition uh, and we'll get into this a little bit later in the hour, uh, we'll reveal who the um, who the stand-in was. It wasn't Howard Hughes according to their research who, who died in 1976 after living like a hermit in the penthouse of the uh, the, the Desert Springs Inn, um, is that is, is the Desert Springs in r- directly in Las Vegas or is it in Henderson? Where is it? That hotel? Where was it? It was
1: right on the Strip in Las Vegas. He owned about seven, six or seven different hotels there in Las Vegas, as well as an airport, as well as a TV station. Uh, he had quite a bit of property there in Las Vegas in the in the uh, late sixties and into the seventies.
0: And again. You were uh working in the uh well you were a a uh, a general in the Nebraska Air National Guard uh when you first met Ava McClelland, uh, who married this man, Nick Nicoly, who turned out to be Howard Hughes, uh, she married him in back in nineteen seventy and it wasn't until seven it was five years later he finally admitted uh who she who he was. And did did she did she believe him immediately yeah. or did it take a while? Yeah.
1: She said she knew it by then. She had figured it out because he had given her clues all the way along. And she'd taken these things. Eva was a very, very smart lady. And she knew, kind of knew when to quit asking questions and when to quit bugging him and, and that type of thing. And so she put these things together. And so when he revealed it to her, she told me, I already knew it. I knew already knew it, it was Howard Hughes.
0: And where did they live in Alabama? It was in a remote location, wasn't it? In
1: Alabama, they they uh, they left Panama in the summer of uh, '72, and they moved to Arizona, and they lived in Arizona several different places, uh, '72, '73, and '74. They left Arizona in about April of '74, and moved to uh, west of Troy, Alabama, which is which is where Eva basically grew up uh, in Troy, Alabama, and then they. They moved and moved and moved and moved there uh, in Troy, Alabama, near Troy, Alabama, for about five, or six years. And they finally ended up on a, on a wooded property, uh, remote wooded property west of Troy, Alabama, about six or seven miles.
0: And did he have uh, bodyguards? Did he have a staff with him keeping an eye on him, or were they on their own?
1: He had AIDS all the way along. Uh, he had AIDS when Eva first saw him. In 1969, he had aides around him. She said he was always doing business. When they got married, he'd go out in the middle of the night and make his phone calls and do business. He always had people going along. And then when they moved into uh, Arizona, again, they had people there with him. When they moved to Alabama, again, they had people there. And th- there was these AIDS, There were three, th- three usually two or three around them, uh, went into uh, Florida. They moved with them. They were always around. In fact, Eva uh, saw them. Eva said, "Can I, can I meet your friends?" And Nick said, "No, that's way too dangerous. You can't meet my friends." But they were always there. Sometimes her car would break down, and they'd be there to to help her uh, with that breakdown. And then when when the stand-in died in 1976, April 1978, they just disappeared. They were gone then. At that point.
0: All right, Mark Music is with us. He is the co-author along with Doug Wellman of. Boxes, The Secret Life of Howard Hughes. He lived on some 25 years after uh, we were told, or more than 25 years, I believe, uh, after we were told he died in 1976. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show right here. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Mark Music, co author of Boxes, The Secret Life of Howard Hughes. Just trying to do the math in my head. So he died in 1976, supposedly. Uh, Now he lived another 25 years, I think, correct? Correct. Essentially. He he died November of 2001. 2001, all right. So uh, in 1976, by this time, he's admitted to, uh, Howard Hughes has admitted to Eva, his wife, uh, that he is Howard Hughes. Uh, then the news comes on that uh, Howard Hughes died in 1976. So we need to talk about this stand-in. Uh, first of all, in 1970, Howard moves. To, Howard Hughes moves to uh, to Panama, and he, or at some point, he moves to Panama, and he meets Eva in 1970. So, um, had he, I mean, how long had be had be, had he been plotting uh, this this scheme where he would have a stand-in? Um, that you know was later identified as Howard Hughes in 1976
1: Well it all kind of begins in 1966 when he had he went to uh, from from Los Angeles to Boston to have what they call eye surgery for an eye problem and that's when he had this uh, we think that's when he had this iris implant and so he started changing his appearance in 1966 at that point he was married to a lady named Jean Peters and Jean Peters according to the books never saw him after 1966. They were never, ever together hmm. uh, ever since. So he started this thing and then. And it's really about 1969 that this long-haired, long-fingernail guy really comes into play. And that's the same time that Howard now is moved on this other identity. So they throw this long-haired, long-fingernail guy in there just to add total confusion on what's really going on.
0: Well, I mean, Howard did have uh, idiosyncrasies, more hang-ups than a Christmas tree, as we used to like to say. Uh, and, and, of course, Eva uh, attested to that, and she left them on a number of occasions because of that, but they always got back together because they were in love. But, I mean, um, how much of that, you know, the germophobia and all of that, how much of that was actually Howard Hughes? Uh,
1: he was definitely a germaphobe. Eva Eva made comments to me about you know she would uh, feed him and give him the food off stainless steel plates and things like that. And as I would as I was uh, taking Eva around town around town, if there was a let's say we came to a parking lot and there was a you know an oil spot on the street, Eva said, "Oh, don't step on that! Don't step on that!" No, Nick said, "Never step on that oil spots." And so he was quite a germaphobe. He also wore gloves uh, virtually continuously. He wore gloves. I think. For several reasons, one he'd leave more fingerprints that way. The other one, he was a germaphobe, and he didn't want to, you know, touch all these things. And then his hands were also damaged in that in that aircraft accident in 1946.
0: Right, right. He was flying an experimental aircraft, and
1: his his hands were damaged, and they were very very tender. We we actually have a picture of. We didn't have a picture, um, this picture, when the first book came out. But the, shortly thereafter, a lady gave us a picture of of Howard of Nick in 1990, and he's in the uh, in the woods there in Alabama, and you can see his hands. It's a, it's a it's a close up picture, or fairly close, and you can see that his hands are discolored. His hands were um, uh, did they didn't look normal.
0: Right. Okay. Now this stand in, whose idea was that? I mean, and and was how? And what was Howard running away from?
1: Howard had a, a... I think it was Howard's idea just to cause confusion. Uh, Eva, he loved confusion. Eva would say, she'd just laugh and laugh and said he loved confusion. He threw confusion in everything that he did. And so to throw this, uh, this uh, uh, other man into it was perfect because now you couldn't tell what the truth was. They actually set up meetings with him. Now, in some of the meetings that they set up, they had this screen in front of him. And so the person who was... You know, having a meeting with him would say, "Well, I met with Howard, and and but there was a screen, and I really couldn't couldn't get a clear picture of, of who he really was." Uh, other people said well, his breath was atrocious. You know, his breath was just absolutely atrocious; it'd knock you out. And so they they'd have these uh, meetings with him to again cause more confusion of of who really is Howard Hughes.
0: And so you're saying the stand-in was occasionally the person that people would meet with. And uh, he would be he, he would hide behind the screen because what he didn't look a lot like Howard Hughes or I mean how closely did the stand in resemble the real Howard Hughes?
1: I think th- I think they were near the same height. Now what we have learned is that he's about he was about twenty years older. Uh, so the stand in was about twenty years older than Howard. Right. Right. And so th- so they, there wasn't a uh, resemble but I think they were uh, near in height and he knew. You know, he was a, he was a, a, he had some drug problems, but he knew he was being uh, taken care of uh, to be a, to be a alternate for Howard.
0: And and how did they find this person? How did they recruit him?
1: Well, there's some, we're not we're not totally certain on that. There's several things we did learn that Howard uh, did have body doubles. Uh, he had body he had people who looked like him that he would send into meetings. Um, And so the media would say, well, look, there's a a fairly important meeting. There would be Howard Hughes in the back of the room. (laughs) So there would be a man who looked like Howard Hughes but wouldn't say anything, wouldn't make anything, make any comments. But it it would be a body double of Howard. So Howard was doing this um, uh, mix-up for years and years. In fact, what we found out is that even in the 30s and 40s, he was using uh, alternate names. He was using other names that I don't know how he got them. But he was using names of actual people, we believe, Um, and and he did that almost all through his life.
0: Was it just a game? Was it just a game, or was he taking some precaution?
1: Well, as it got later on, as it got later on, Howard was tremendously involved with the CIA. Uh, In 1968, there was a Soviet submarine that sank, and the CIA came to Howard and said. Oh, would you help us raise a submarine? We want we want to uh, see what the encryption device is on it, so we can see you know what kind of equipment and read messages and all that type of thing. And that's right the time that Howard came up with this other identity it was in sixty nine that's when they asked him. And he went and did it. He said, yeah, I'll do it. What we think, this is speculation. What we think he said was, I'll go raise that submarine, and he did. You get me another identity. And the other identity was, uh, with a CIA gentleman, uh, and there's, things, there's indications that he was involved with the CIA. Uh, he controlled the CIA's communication satellites. Therefore, he could communicate with satellite phones. He could communicate without anybody tracing uh, his his phone calls. Many of the books say they tried to trace his phone calls, could never, ever do it. Now it's, it's pretty clear that he was using CIA's communication satellites um, to communicate. So he had lots and lots of interaction uh, with the CIA, probably starting um, speculation in the early early fifties, maybe even late forties.
0: Mark Music is uh, with us, the co-author along with Doug Wellman of Boxes: The Secret Life of Howard Hughes, and uh, this is now the second edition, which uh, reveals uh, um, new photographs, uh, new evidence, the identity of the stand-in, and again, the crux of the um, the uh, the book is that Howard Hughes essentially faked his death. He had a stand-in living um, sort of as a hermit in the uh, the penthouse suite of the hotel he owned, the, the, uh, the Desert Springs Inn, on the strip in Las Vegas. That wasn't him. We all saw on TV on that gurney in 1976 with the long stringy hair and the long fingernails and that emaciated shell of a man, uh, according to this theory, uh, Howard Hughes took on a new identity, married a woman in Panama in 1970, and lived an additional 25 years uh, in a remote location in, in Alabama. Uh, now, why why the name Boxes? What does that signify, Mark? Eva
1: McClelland, uh, as I as I worked this this book with her for eight years, it took me four years to believe it, but Eva McClelland uh, lived basically out of boxes because they had to be able to leave – he really wouldn't let her unpack and so she lived for uh, years out of boxes so that they could leave very very quickly and so she wanted it named boxes because that's how she lived
0: it must have been very very difficult for her and she and she did leave him on how many occasions did she leave Howard Hughes
1: oh boy there's times that he would just disappear uh, and she didn't know where he went and then he'd show up later on But she would leave him, uh, she left him at least three times for extended period of time, one nine months, one six months, one four months. And those were the times we found as we put this together is when, is when Howard would have his meetings or he'd go out and fly airplanes in England would be the times when they were separated. And so as we put this all together, uh, we found out, well, we actually found out that, uh, that, um, uh, Eva left him. This was June of 72. And she moved to Arizona. And he shows up now in Arizona. And she intended to leave him for good because she just couldn't put up with him. She intended to leave him for good. Now, middle of July, Nick shows up in Arizona. And she says, well, what have you been doing? And he said, well, I had some business to attend to. <laughs> and as we put this together, I said, Eva, do you know what happened in June of 72? No, she didn't. I said, Watergate and Hunt and Liddy who were arrested for Watergate, were on the payroll of a guy named Robert Bennett, who worked for Howard Hughes. Uh The office they went into met a gentleman named Larry Mm O'Brien. He was also on the Howard Hughes payroll. So we have people on the Howard Hughes payroll going into an office on the Howard Hughes payroll. And you remember that 18-minute lapse in Richard Nixon's tape? Yes. According to H.R. Halterman, that was the Howard Hughes connection to Watergate. And that's why it could never, ever be, be released. It could never, ever be let out. Fascinating. Because we found out that Howard actually owned Nixon. He owned him flat out and wanted to do him in because Nixon, he wanted Nixon to stop nuclear testing in Nevada. And Nixon
0: really didn't do that. Aha. There's another chapter in history. Now, I have to ask you, um, why you? Why did she choose? Why did Eva McClelland, the widow of Howard Hughes, Choose you and Douglas Wellman to tell her story. Why didn't she take this to the the New York Times or, I don't know, Harper?
1: I, I you know, um, I guess uh, she trusted me. Uh, she liked my military background, I'm a retired Major General. She liked my military background. But I think I think the big thing was um, I, I talked to her on the phone several times in 1999 and 2000, and she called me up one day and said, "Mark, I need some help." And I said, "Okay, Eva, what is that?" And she said, "Well, Nick came back, and they were living in these trailers that you had to go up about three or four steps to get up into the trailer." And she said, "Nick's health is failing; his mobility is failing. He can hardly get up the stairs anymore." And I'm trying to get the VA. He was getting medical uh, help from the VA in Montgomery, Alabama. He was trying to get the VA to build a ramp, and and they were it wasn't going quick. And so I called up the head of the VA in uh, montgomery alabama and uh, made contact and requested this ramp to be built and it got built Uh uh-huh now whether whether i my input did anything i don't know but it got built in fact it's documented in his medical records from the uh, from the uh, va which we have uh so it's documented in there so i think eva felt very comfortable with me at that point in time because i think she thought he helped me get this thing built and i was having problems
0: getting it built but he's Howard Hughes. He could just hire anybody he wants and, and have it built immediately, couldn't he? Uh,
1: that, that, see, this this rolls into uh, his money. You know, what happened to all of that money that he had? Because they weren't living in a, a high state there. What we found out was that, was that Howard really wasn't a material man. Uh, he was the richest man in America, but he really wasn't a material man. He spent money on power he bought power and that's what he wanted they had access to money so if he wanted to buy something he could just go buy it so they had access to it but uh, they were living basically on she had a she had a social security check coming in and she had a retirement from the civil service coming in neither were very large i suspect and he he had a disability check coming in from the air force that Werner nicely the real Werner nicely earned that was coming to him, and and then and then he had a, a uh, checking account with the Chase Manhattan Bank. Um, that's what he bought. The diamond ring that he bought for her was a two-carat diamond ring when they got engaged, and he wrote a check from the Chase Manhattan Bank for that ring.
0: All right, we'll uh, we'll take a time out. We'll come back. We'll find out about the uh, the Howard Hughes connection to the uh, the death of mobster Bugsy Siegel and uh, even President Kennedy, and also we'll dig further into uh, the clues that Howard Hughes faked his death, had a stand-in uh, in 1976, and went on to live for another 25 years uh, with an alias and a new wife, uh, living in a remote location in Alabama. It's all detailed quite nicely in the second edition of Boxes, The Secret Life of Howard Hughes, Mark Music, and Doug Wellman. Back with more right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Keeping an eye on the New World Order, this is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And we are back with Mark Music, Boxes, The Secret Life of Howard Hughes, The Second Edition. Um, all right, before we get into Bugsy Siegel, uh, I just want to back up. I don't know if, if you, did you want to divulge who the stand-in is?
1: Um, one of the stand-ins that we know is a man named Brooks Randall. Uh, Brooks Randall was a, uh, was an uh, uh, actor. Uh, I don't know how good of an actor, uh, but he was an actor, and he looked like Howard. He resembled Howard Hughes in height and look and and, uh, so forth. And we know uh, that has come to us uh, through a lady who knew Nick, and Nick told her that Brooks Randall was one of the um, people who they used as a stand-in for him. And so we're pretty certain on uh, that. We've tried to do some tracking on Brooks Randall and have had a hard time uh, finding additional information on him, but we do know that uh, ag- according to this lady, who we'll talk a little bit more about later, she um, uh, gave us that name. And as you look at his picture, Brooks Randall's picture, uh, very very close to Howard.
0: And is he the one that actually died in 1976?
1: Uh, we don't think that. No, we don't think he's actually one that died. Uh, the, he he also told this lady that one of the stand-ins uh, was actually shot. Uh, being a stand-in for Howard, and that became uh, you know the man that died. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. Uh, there's so many things that were thrown into this that that sometimes it reaches the point of you don't know what he made up and you don't know what the truth is.
0: Now the the gentleman that died, um, pretending to be Howard Hughes. I mean, he was in horrible shape. I mean, was he being mistreated?
1: No, actually, he was a he was a drug addict of um, what we've learned on him uh, he was actually treated uh, probably fairly well he was, we think he was about 20 years older than Howard and uh, he was kept uh, you know with food and with drugs uh, for, his, for his normal life for his natural life until he finally passed away in uh, in 1976 um, but he in 1973 he was in a hotel in London uh, this was that tall emaciated man and he fell and um and he he fell, broke a hip, and the doctor came in and basically said, "Oh my God, this looks like a you know Japanese prisoner of war." Ninety pounds, uh, couldn't talk, um, 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 was just uh, declared mentally incompetent at that point in time. Sad, sad physical shape. And, and the interesting thing is, uh, about six weeks prior to that, Howard Hughes, the real Howard Hughes had flown a plane in England three times in June of 70, June and July of 73. He'd flown a plane in England three times, and the the pilot with him said, you know, this is a commanding man, he's a friendly man. And I I don't mean flew in a plane, I mean he did touch and goes, he did landings and things like that in in these planes. And so uh, that adds more to the mystery of, my goodness, what is really going on here? This can't possibly be... The same man that we're talking about,
0: right? How many uh, how many people knew about the the stand-in and that Howard Hughes was living um, with an alias? Uh, be, and this is prior to necessar- you know, maybe him meeting Eva. But did his did his did all of his staff know that the person that they were supposedly attending to wasn't Howard Hughes?
1: No, no, no. I don't think so. When we put the first book out, we we, we deduced there was two doctors that knew about it. And there was uh, five or six aides, and there was the, um, the supervisor of the aides. So we, we, we figured there was, you know, eight or nine people uh, who knew about it at that point in time. And that's when we put the first book out. What we found out is that there are actually people visiting him. Uh, on He called it the ranch there in Alabama. Uh, he called the area, the wooded property, the ranch. And there were people who actually would come visit him who were Howard Hughes' people. So, there's several more people uh that we uh, have deduced who also knew that he was alive because they were actually um coming to uh do business with him in the in the eighties and the nineties
0: now um why would he complicate his his life by faking his death because now, with an alias, how does he access his money? How does he control his company if he's no longer if Howard Hughes is no longer alive legally? How does Howard Hughes, now Nick Nickley, control the empire?
1: Well, we think, we think he gave up control of the empire. When, 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 he, when he died, when the stand-in died, uh, the empire and all of his businesses went elsewhere. That went elsewhere. But he still had uh, some money. Um, he, there was, a, there was a, a discussion over a will in 1977, 70, when it went on for years. There's discussion over a will of did he have a will? Did he not have a will? And at that point in time, there was 30 people that came forward and says, I've got the will of Howard Hughes. And of course, the courts ruled none of them. Uh, none of them are legit. And so, uh, the money went to cousins is where his money went to. What we think, what we believe is that he had a, what we'll call it, it was called the Mormon will. And what we think is that that is what he really wanted because that gave a, a large amount of money to the Howard Hughes Medical Institute. And you remember one of those doctors that we talked about who knew he was, still, knew he was alive? Right. Uh, he became a fairly high position in the Howard Hughes Medical Institute.
0: Ah, okay. Well, uh, we will get to the Bugsy Siegel story and JFK uh, in the next segment. Mark Music stays with us as we discuss the second edition of his book, co-authored by Douglas Wellman, Boxes, The Secret Life of Howard Hughes. Back in a moment. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And we are back with Mark Music, co-author along with Douglas Wellman, or Wellman rather, of Boxes, The Secret Life of Howard Hughes. And uh, let's, uh, let's talk about uh, uh, Bugsy Siegel, a mob- mobster who spent a lot of time in Las Vegas when Vegas was really run uh, by the mob. Uh, what's the story there? Was Howard Hughes involved in Bugsy Siegel's uh, death?
1: Well, he was not directly involved, no, but there's an indirect uh, relationship here. And when we when we uh, first put the book out, we thought there were no biological children. Uh, that's what history says. Howard Hughes had no biological children. Well, almost immediately, we had people started coming to us and say, well, I'm the biological child of Howard. One of these people was a man named John McDonald, and uh, he was born in 1942. And he was a very... Um, uh, you know, uh, quiet man, and and um, he was very reluctant to tell us things. And then and then uh, finally, there was a book that came out. We a gentleman named Warren Hull, called a Family Secrets, I think it's called, and it talks about John McDonald's family. And what we have um, the, the the bottom line story of this is that Howard was the father, the biological father of John McDonald. Now, the, John McDonald's father that he was living with uh, was a man named uh, Robert, uh, Robert McDonald, Bob McDonald. And uh, he was associated with the mafia. And he, uh, threw, to make a long story short, um, his dad, uh, Robert McDonald, owed some money to the mafia. And they came to him and said, okay, here's the deal. Uh, we'll kill you. Uh, you can pay back the twenty five the, the the money we owe you, which I think was twenty five thousand dollars. You can pay that back, or we got a job for you, and the job was to go kill Bugsy Siegel, and that's what he did. He went and he uh, killed uh, Bugsy Siegel. Now, this is all in a book, uh, Family Secrets, written by
0: Warren Hull, and so um, so this was the the adopted father or the stepdad of. Of Howard Hughes' biological son, John McDonald.
1: Yeah, this would be the father, the uh, the man, his the, the biological son that that Howard, uh, he was, the family he was living with.
0: Right. Okay. The
1: Family he was living with, and uh, it, it's all uh, documented in the in the book there in one chapter. If you look at John, we have pictures in there of John, and John McDonald, uh, physically looks like Howard Hughes. We've got the pictures side by side and it's kind of like, oh my goodness. Right, You can hardly tell them apart.
0: Have you had any, uh, speaking of which, have you had any photographic analysis done on uh, the, the photos of Nick Nickley uh, and Howard Hughes?
1: We've had a uh, um, the, 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 the original photos that we have of Nick in the first book is a man that's a long ways away. He never wanted his picture taken. Never want this picture taken. They're a long ways away. You cannot see facial characteristics and things like that until you blow them up. The picture that we did have in, uh, from 1990, which is a man standing in a, in a, uh, wooded area with a, with a, uh, 1950 oil riggers hat on and a beard. And, um, uh, you look at that picture and, and you can't see a whole lot, but you see the eyes. The eyes is what does it. So you take those that picture of of Nick there, and Howard had his last picture taken in about 1954 was his last picture. It was a serious picture taken. And you look at the eyes in that picture, and they are the same. In fact, I took that picture, um, the one of of Nick in 1990, I took that to a gentleman who knew um, Howard, and he actually traveled with Howard in the 80s. He said Howard didn't die. And, and I said, is this picture Howard Hughes? And he looked at it with a magnifying glass, and he said, uh, I'm 100% this is Howard Hughes. And I said, how? how? How can you do that? And he said, because Howard had surgery. Remember that surgery in yes. 1966? Howard had surgery to his eyes, and his right eye was slightly right. And he said, this man's right eye is slightly right.
0: So Howard Hughes... Uh before he supposedly died in 1976, was never photographed again in public after 1954?
1: Uh, correct. That is correct. There's one photograph we've seen, which was about 1958, which was just a snapshot-type thing of him, uh, standing by an airplane, I think it was. But there's no official photograph taken of him after 1954. Like He really did not want a picture taken, and, and that picture thing went back even to the 30s. He didn't want his pictures taken at all uh and and um but there uh, there was there was taken a handsome man he was a very very handsome yes, man
0: yes he was dashing i think would be the term we used to use dashing yes uh, now uh, i want to get to the jfk thing but what uh, something that leaps immediately to mind in terms of substantiating the story and that is uh, there must be dna evidence all over uh the trailer where they lived in in alabama uh, was there ever any effort to find hair samples or something uh, that would um, provide DNA evidence to com- you know to compare with the real Howard Hughes?
1: Boy, I wish we worked DNA for about six years on this. Uh, we had five items from the ranch that we thought would yield DNA, and none of them yielded DNA. Uh, not one of them. And. Um, uh, and I worked with a DNA expert for about six years on this thing. And we had, you know, hair, but the hair didn't have a, uh, a root to it, didn't have a follicle to it. Now, the interesting thing about it is when I went back to the ranch, after I put the took the original, uh, you know, those original five, six items, after I went back to the ranch, the ranch had been cleaned. All the things that were that were there that I thought would yield DNA were gone. Hmm. And they even removed the sinks. Interesting. They even removed the sinks. And, and so everything. And, and the gentleman that I worked with said, this man knew how to hide, and, and, and he wanted to hide, and he knew how to do it. They said he had help in, in hiding.
0: How about handwriting analysis? There must have been samples of handwriting. Did he write notes to Eva?
1: He did. Uh, we've got that. We've got some notes that he wrote to Eva. They do not match. They do not match Howard Hughes' handwriting. And I believe, uh, Howard Hughes never wrote. What I think he did, I think someone wrote everything that he, uh, that he needed right written. And the reason why I say that is because his, uh, his, uh, spelling was atrocious. Uh, Eva would say his, he only had about an eighth grade education. And she said his spelling was absolutely atrocious. And that's why we believe that uh, much of the writing that Howard Hughes has is, uh, is, um, he dictated uh, it. it Doesn't match.
0: Right. He just dictated it to somebody. Yeah. So he it it in in lieu of of DNA evidence, in lieu of you know handwriting samples, uh, I mean, w- isn't this just Eva McClellan's story? I mean, what what other tangible evidence? I mean, you have you know other people who worked with him and corroborated. But is there any other physical evidence that this that Nick Nickley was in fact Howard Hughes?
1: We've got, uh, we've got th- those pictures and there are facial characteristics on the pictures after you blow them up that it's him. Uh, his height, uh, his height was six foot four. Uh, he had a very rounded head. Uh, Nick had a very, very rounded head. Uh, Nick's feet were burned and his hands were burned. Uh, people said his feet were burned much worse than his hands were burned. He told, um, a lady that he was involved with an aircraft accident. Mm-hmm. And uh, she really didn't believe him. He told a lady, I'm Howard Hughes. Uh, she really didn't know what to believe at that point. And so there's a, there was a lady that came forward to us who knew them in 81 through 84. And she was a student at Torrey University. And she got to know them very, very well. And, uh, and he told her, I'm Howard Hughes. He told her who he worked with. Uh, he told her names. Um, He told her all kinds of things about Watergate. Uh, He told her about the Kennedy assassination. Um, He told her about um, uh, travels that he did. People came to visit him, were Howard Hughes' people. She would pick up uh, packages from the post office, and they were from the Howard Hughes Medical Institute. Uh, She would deliver postcards that he wanted to go out, and they were to Howard Hughes' people.
0: Uh, let's just talk, uh, spend a few moments talking about uh, the possible connection between Howard Hughes and the assassination of JFK.
1: Okay. All right. What we've got there is this lady who was a student in 1981 through 84. Uh, Howard uh, t- basically told her that uh, the JFK assassination, this is in the second book, was done by uh, the mafia. Uh, Frankie and Johnny, who he said it was, Frankie and Johnny. Uh, he let know Frank Johnny is, is a gentleman named Johnny Roselli
0: right from the Sam G and Connie gang in Chicago
1: correct and, and Frank actually, Nick, Frank
0: Nicoletti isn't it
1: I don't know who Frank is
0: I think that's Frank Nicoletti
1: see we don't we never we could never figure that out who Frank is but Johnny because Johnny remember uh, um, John McDonald's dad uh, yes. Robert uh, at their house this would be in the 40s. Uh, Howard Hughes would come and, and eat meals with him. And also Johnny Roselli, because his dad was associated with the mafia. Johnny Roselli would come and, and socialize with him and have meals with him, too. So now we got in the 40s, we've got Nick, whose son is living, biological son is living in this house. Uh, he's coming and socializing with him. And uh, and also the mafia is socializing with him. So we got a, a tremendous linkage to. Between Howard and the Mafia, a trace that goes back to the forties.
0: Aha, uh-huh. okay. That, I, I was mistaken. It wasn't Frank Nicoletti. It was that was Charles or Chucky uh, Nicoletti. So I'm not sure who Frankie was, but uh, um, fascinating, fascinating chapter. Now, is it has any consideration been given to exhuming Nick Nickley's body? Is that is that possible? And and then comparing again the DNA.
1: Okay, Nick Nickley. Um, Howard, uh, the Howard Hughes uh, was cremated. Yeah. And so, uh, because course, I wish, I wish, I wish we could get something out of that, but we're not getting any DNA out of that. And so um, uh, he was cremated at that point, and that's all part of the story, is Eva asked me to go help spread the ashes. And so uh, I went and helped her spread the ashes at the Navarro Beach in Florida, where they lived uh, for about six months. Uh, on the beach there, and they both enjoyed that very much. The aides were right behind them, uh, in this, in this, uh, beach house that they're living in. And so, uh, he's there. Now, the stand-in, uh, supposedly, you know, and I don't know if the stand-in's still there or not, uh, would, would be buried in Houston, uh, at the cemetery there in Houston, in between the parents. Um, you know, if someone wants to exhume that, that's fine. I'm not gonna press that. Um, the, uh, I I will I will go out on a limb and say that Standin's DNA will never, ever, ever, <laughs> ever match the two parents in that gravesite. It will never match. if the stand in's even if someone even came to me and said, Well, I I doubt if the stand in's even there anymore, they would probably taken him out and put him someplace else.
0: Howard Hughes, he was truly the disappearing man, wasn't he?
1: He would uh he would disappear and he did it even from the thirties. Uh, there's people who interacted with him in the 30s and 40s, and he would just uh, disappear, and then Eva would have, uh, uh, you know, he disappeared for, when they first met in 1969, uh, he disappeared then for December 69 and January 70. He just disappeared, and he came back in February of 70, and he, Eva did not know him very well then, but she said, well, well where have you been? And he said, well, I, I had some business to attend to in the
0: States. <laughs> well, he and he disappeared for good in 1976 and Correct. for the next 25 years. And uh, he didn't make it easy for you to piece this together either. Uh, Mark Music, a fascinating chapter in, uh, in history, and I thank you for bringing this to the fore, both uh, you and Douglas Wellman. Boxes, The Secret Life of Howard Hughes. Thank you so much, Mark.
1: Richard, thank you. This has been fun.
0: My pleasure. All right, my website, strangeplanet.ca. That's your portal to this program, and uh, please say hello on Twitter, Richard, at Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett, S-Y-because-I-love-you-R-E-double-T. And as always, follow the truth.